I did this a couple years ago. And I did it a couple years before that. And it feels like it's time to do it again. So this is the uh, value series. Um, The seven values of the church. Every organization... Are are we on, Derek? Click the button. There we go. Um, Every organization, every group of people, every body of people has rules for their organization. Right? A church, a school, a workplace, a family, a team, they all have rules. Sometimes the rules are written down, and sometimes they're not. But they exist, right? Sometimes they're intentional, and sometimes it's just what happens, because that's what happens when people get together. And it's also true about this church, that we have, quote, rules. And I don't really want to call them rules, so we'll call them values instead. It's the things we live by. And these seven things, as we'll talk about them through the next few weeks, are the things that we have chosen intentionally to use to describe who we are and what kind of people we are and why we do what we do. And uh, a guideline and a structure for us to compare the things that we take on with these values to see if they fit in. We cannot be all things to all people. It's not possible. So what are we and who are we? And that's kind of what these values lay out. We're going to talk about the first value today. But really there's some things that are assumptions that kind of go before the values, if you will. Here's, here's one of our assumptions that we're making about this place. We believe in God the creator we believe that things did did not just poof appear we believe that there was a designer a creator we believe in a higher power Um, that's not a unique thing for us many people believe in a higher power or god so we're not alone in that that what we believe that there is a god and you know me i've said it before i think It takes more faith to believe there's not a God than it takes to believe that there is a God from my perspective. But people are all across the spectrum of their belief in God. But we we believe in God. We believe in God because we look around us and we see things and we say, how did they get there? Like today we're in a building, right? And it's warm and there's lights and there's... uh, hard benches for you to sit on and how did this get here we look at this and we say somebody made this building right we'd be crazy to look at this building and think anything else than that someone made it so take the building away what was here before the building How did that get here? Who made that? Who made the earth, the water, the soil, the sky, all the the compounds? Who made that? Who brought it together in order? Right, you could take all the pieces of a pocket watch, all separate, put them in a box, and shake the box forever. And every now and then a few of the pieces would line up in the right place. 
but I don't think you could ever shake it long enough for it to turn into a watch, do you? And yet here we have this, this body that we live in that is much more intricate than a watch. And <clears throat> so we look at these things and see them that are here. We see a creation, therefore we know there had to be a creator. And so we believe in God. Now, if we were created, then the Creator did that on purpose, for a reason. That means there's some kind of a relationship the Creator wants to have with His creation. We see complexity in the creation, so we see that the Creator is complex. I say all this without any other information than just observation of where we're at in the world we live in. Right? That's available. Creation is enough to reveal there is a creator. So our assumption is there's a God and we believe in him or her or it, God. Then we turn and look at other human beings and we see that everyone is living by a code. Everybody has a code that they live their life by. Some of them are very advanced and some of them are very base. But everybody has a code. There's even honor among thieves, right? The crooks. I've been watching Turner Classic movies. I love the, uh, the gangster movies. Even they have a code. You know what it is? They don't rat. Oh, they'll kill you and steal from you, but they won't rat. Everybody has a code they live by. So we see that in all of creation, that we all live by a set of rules and a code. And then if we look closely, we see that everyone violates their own rules. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? We set up rules to live by and then we promptly go about breaking our own rules. Um, so then we're forced to consider our rules and either we try to improve our rules to live by or we throw the rules out, one of the two. Because we can't deal with it. So here's the thing, you're living by a set of rules and I'm living by a set of rules and I chose my rules and you chose your rules and then we go about trying to enforce our rules on those around us. Right? So some are overt about this and they will force you to behave by their rules. And some are covert about it and they just work behind the scenes all the time to get you to live by their rules. But when we look at society, what I see is a creation of people who know they have been created and they have an obligation to a creator and so they establish rules to live by to show to their creator and to themselves that they're okay. They fail at that, but they try to get others to live by their rules, which they also fail at that. And then we have a society that's like ours. Hypocrites, intolerant in the name of tolerance. Uh, 
everybody's trying to figure out how to make life work one way or another. Now, with that as a background, we come to our first value. Because with that as a background, everybody is wandering and searching and failing. Because all we know is what we see in creation. So, we say one of the things that makes us different from others, we have found a source of truth that we believe to be reliable. To be something that we can stand on, that we think explains lots of things. We think it introduces us to the Creator. We think it teaches us lots of things about ourselves. And we think it reveals uh, the best thing that ever happened. So, um, we believe that the Creator of the universe is the highest authority. We believe He wrote a book. We believe that not only has he revealed himself through the creativity and wonder of his creation, but we believe that he revealed himself and his intentions for us through his book and ultimately in his son Jesus. We believe that he has revealed a better way if we will follow after Jesus. So what we are as a church is a place that when we examine life's biggest questions down to the smallest question, Our first stop is the Bible. Not our feelings. Not what is popular. Not what the Google says. Not what our nation's laws say. Not politics. Not a cost-benefit analysis. We say when we want to know the truth and want to know how to do things, that we turn to the, uh, the Bible. God's book. It's called a biblical worldview. We view all things in the world through the aspect and the knowledge of the Bible. It's the filter through which we see our word, world, and that's our uh, first value, our value number one, biblical authority. We believe that the Bible is God's word and has the ability to show us a better way to live if we are willing to put ourselves under its authority and adjust our lives to what God reveals there as true and best. We start with this value as the foundation because we have to have a source of truth that we can all share, we can all stand on. We can all put our faith and trust in what we read in God's Word. Um, So we see ourselves and we see the world and then we see what God's Word says. And then we have a choice. Either we abandon God's word or we adjust to match God's word. And that's what makes us uh, be us. We believe it's our job to adjust our ideas and our thoughts and our actions and our lives to what the Bible describes as a better way to live. Now this book has loads of wisdom, advice, and examples of how we should live and how we should filter the adventures of life. We believe it has the words of life. That it can make life better because of the truth we find in it. And that we can find the way to eternal life through that book. Now, I think the Bible is an incredible thing. But it's not God. So we have to keep it in the right perspective, right? 
We could worship the Bible. We could use it as what we serve and what we follow. And it's not. Let's be clear. It is the Word of God. So we hear the Word of God, we obey the Word of God, we listen to the Word of God, but we love God. Okay? So, from, from the book, in 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe that we can use God's Word to teach, rebuke, correct, and train. Now before we do that to someone else, the primary meaning of this verse is that the God-breathed Scripture will teach and rebuke and correct and train me. The primary purpose is not so I can take the book and teach and train and rebuke and correct you. The primary meaning is the Word of God, which is God-breathed, will teach and rebuke and correct and train me. Now, I like magic, mythical stories. If you take your Bible and place it under your pillow at night and sleep with your head right on the Bible, you'll probably wake up with a stiff neck. And that's it. Being close to the Bible does not teach, train, rebuke, or correct. Reading it. Listening to it. Studying it. Meditating on it. Digest it. Metabolize it. Right? We eat it like food, like bread and water. Because it is God-breathed. Now, I don't know, most of you probably know the origin of the Bible. We have the Bible that is one book now that we carry around and is a book. But that's not how it originally was made. Men and women, led by God, wrote down things from history and from prophetic messages that God had given them. They wrote them down over the course of thousands of years. And then it was all compiled together into one book. Many authors, many years, many locations, even different languages. And it was all brought together in one book. There are more manuscripts, for those of you who are young, before uh, smartphones that could take pictures of things before we had copy machines, before there were mimeograph machines, before printing presses, before paper, there was papyrus, which is handmade paper. And there was ink. And people wrote on this parchment paper. And then... To preserve it, someone would sit down with a blank piece of paper and read here and write here. And that's how they preserved old documents. They kept making copies manually. So if I sent a letter to one of you 
and you wanted to share that with three others, you would manually copy that. Those are called manuscripts. There are more manuscripts of the Holy Scripture text than of any other old ancient book out there. There are more manuscripts that tie back together and prove the authenticity of God's Word. You can study that a lot. Matter of fact, you can go to the Google and find out a lot of information about how the Bible was made before it was turned into a book like we have it. But I believe you can trust what's in God's Word. Now today we have many translations. That's because the original text was written in Hebrew and then Aramaic and then some Greek and then it was written in Latin. And I don't speak any of those things and most of you don't either. And so it was translated into English. And then as we've learned more about the historical languages and and the culture and things, people keep making new translations. And we can get into Bible wars any day you want to about why one is better than the other. And uncle, you're right. This one is better than that one. Read them both. Or pick your favorite one or your least favorite one. Pick the, the ones that are new modern paraphrases. Read them. Read them because they have the words of life and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training you. You. So that the servant of God, you, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Sometimes when you need to do some work, you need a really big sledgehammer and you just want to smash things apart. And God's word can be used as a sledgehammer to just break things apart to get down to the fine things. But God's word is more like a meticulous laser beam of surgery that is able to split things that you and I I didn't even know there were two things soul and spirit I didn't even know they were separate things and the Bible is able to distinguish between soul and spirit right or joint and marrow when does the bone I don't even know these things but the word of God does and the word of God is sharp and is able to do exactly, precisely to make the cuts that need to be made to teach and correct and rebuke and train you. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart because it is alive and active. I am old. I have been around the Bible for a long time. Do you know there are days that I get the Bible down and I read some passage and I say, Huh! I didn't know that was in there. Something that I've read time and time again. I do not believe the words on the page change, but I believe what I metabolize from Scripture changes all the time because the book is alive and active. It makes things happen. In other words, what I'm saying is I have never met anybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ who says, There, I'm done. I finished studying the Bible. 
I got it. Oh, I sometimes think that. But then I open it back up and it reveals to me, no, no, I don't have it yet. There's something new, something I don't know. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I have two dogs. Well, I have a dog and Lana has a dog. Um, we've made several attempts over the years to train these animals so that they'd be good living companions. Some things they're pretty good at and other things they're bad at. And so I got on the internet and found a, a study series that would help me train my dog to stop getting so excited when things happen. I paid seven ninety nine for this series to teach me how to train my dog. You know what I did? I bought it, I downloaded it, and I watched it. And the dogs are still excited because, you know what? All I did was listen to what the guy said. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, that's a good idea. I didn't train my dogs based on what I learned. That was a waste of seven ninety nine, don't you think? But I'm calmer, and, and I know what's wrong with the dogs. Right. <laughs> Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. See, we read from God's Word and we see what it says we should do and we say, oh, that's interesting. No, it's not interesting. It's life-changing. As we read God's Word, our response to God's Word is to do something. Right? It's a book of instructions and examples of how people have lived and served God so that we can do that same thing. Now, I know you can take it all wrong, you know, like you can quote your favorite verse, like Judas hanged himself, go thou and do likewise. My two favorite verses put together. Uh, so people can use God's word to say anything, okay? So I'm not telling you to, to just, oh, read something and then go repeat what they did. That's not what this means. What this means is you, you read a story or some instructions, and through the revelation of God, you say, oh, that's what that means to me, and you do that. Okay? Um, because, in John 16, 13, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. Because of the work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in me, lives in you. So God is the speaker, God breathed, the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is in me. So when I open the Word of God, God is speaking to me. The Holy Spirit in me is hearing those words and communicating to me the things of the Spirit. I often say something like, well, I read the Bible the other day and I learned blah, 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 which is true, but I didn't really learn it. The Holy Spirit revealed it. Okay? It is the Holy Spirit that is revealing these things. It is the Holy Spirit that is speaking to you as you read God's Word. It is the Holy Spirit that as it speaks to you and reads God's Word, reading God's Word is what intends for you then to act. 
to not just hear God's word, but to put it into action. <clears throat> so we're not on our own. We have God's word. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We read these words. The Holy Spirit interprets them for us. We not just listen, but we do what we read. We put it into action. It impacts us. So, um, over the years, I have read God's book, and I have found things in God's book that I don't like, or that I don't agree with, or that I don't understand. And so then goes something like, God, uh, I think you're wrong about this. And uh, what happens is, if you think God is wrong about this, then why would you trust him with that? Right? And so you get to the point of where you read God's word and you think, oh, well, that's not right. That doesn't make sense. That won't work. That's not for today. That's not for me. You couldn't do that in our society. And we set that aside. Um, so most of us tend to approach God's word with a highlighter and a pair of scissors. And the words that we like, we highlight. And the words that we don't like, we cut out. Um, okay, so most of us, we're too savvy to just cut something out. What we do is say, well, it doesn't mean what it said. It means blah, blah, blah. Right? <laughs> I spent a short time in China, in Beijing, around people who were brand new Christians, who did not have a Christian history, who didn't grow up going to VBS because grandma took them there, who didn't have all that background. They, as adults, were introduced to Jesus Christ, and they believed in him, and they opened their Bible and read it, and you know what they do? They think it means what it says. They just read it and say, oh, we should do that. They haven't been trained like we have to know that that doesn't apply to us. We don't really need to live in common and really share our things with each other. We don't really need to do that. Take care of the homeless? Well, we'll always have the poor. We don't really need to do that. Forgive someone? Well, when they come and ask for it, give to the church? Well, sure, here's a little bit of money. Stay faithful to my spouse? Keep the marriage bed pure? What? That's ridiculous. Um, if we're not able to conform the big areas of our lives to God, then we're not able to conform the small areas of our lives to God. It just doesn't make any sense. So, kind of like Kate was saying, we, we know the Bible or God says to do this, but we don't really want to, so we do something else. <laughs> That's where value one comes back in. Not us. Right? Not here. We say, we believe that the Bible is God's word and has the ability to show us a better way to live, if we are willing to put ourselves under its authority 
and adjust our lives to what God reveals there is true and best. In our culture, the only thing that is wrong is to call a wrong thing wrong. We can do anything else but that, right? We can't, we can't see something that's wrong and call it wrong. See, I'm old. I remember back in the 70s that when a man and a woman who weren't married would live together, we would say, that's wrong. And where are we at today with that? There's nothing wrong with that. You test drive a car before you buy it? Let's move in together and see if we like each other before we get married. Now, wouldn't it be nice if that was the moral dilemma of our day? Look how far we've gone from that. That I can't stand up here in church today and say that homosexuality is a sin. I can't say that, can I? I can't say that gay marriage is a sin. I can't say that gender confusion is sin. Our society won't let me say those things. And so, here we're at a crossroads. What will we do? What kind of people are we? See, I'm not going to stand up today and say that it is wrong for a man and a woman to live together who are not married. I'm not going to say that. You know what I'm going to say? God says that. Because, quite frankly, nobody, if you're here to hear my opinion, you should come some other day and hear what I think about things. We are here because we believe the Word of God has truth in it. That we wanted to reveal to each other, as the Holy Spirit reveals to us, that we would conform ourselves to it, not conform it to us. If we are willing to put ourselves under its authority and adjust our lives to what God says. So what that means is, if I say this, but God says that, my next line is, I was wrong. This is not true. What God says is true. We will conform us to it, not conform it to us. We believe in biblical authority. If a biblical issue becomes political, and we talk about it, it's not us being political. It's somebody else taking a biblical issue and making it political. We're still talking biblical. Right? Correcting. See, the Bible doesn't just point out what's wrong. It points out what's right. That's the correcting part. Uh, some of you call this judging, and judging is bad. 
Let's clear up something here, what I believe about judging. Judging is character assassination. Judging is saying, you are an idiot. You are a liar. You deserve hell. You are a fool. That's judging. Here's what's not judging. You told a lie. I'm not judging you. See what I'm saying? See the difference between you are a liar versus you told a lie? That thing you said, that was not true. That's not judging. It's an observation. Judging is taking the observation and then putting a sentence to it. That's what a judge does, right? Sentence. We are not to judge. Are we to be observant? Of course we are. How can we correct and train and rebuke if we're not? Me first. Then you. Or as Jesus said, I get the log out of my eye so I can work on the speck in yours. That always must be our perspective. The thing that's wrong with me was a log coming out of my head. You've got a speck in your eye. You see the difference? That's how we approach <clears throat> correcting and training. 100% truth. 100% grace. So we're thoroughly equipped. Right? We're competent. Because we have God's Word, because we use God's Word, because we metabolize God's Word, we're competent and thoroughly equipped now to do what God has called us to do. And so as a church, we have made the decision, we choose the book. Whatever version or flavor you want to bring is fine with us. But we are people of God's Word. We read His Word, we meditate on it, we study it, we teach it. When we not want to know what the source of truth is, we go to God by going to His Word. We also go to God directly. He speaks to us. The Spirit speaks in wisdom and revelation. We choose to believe what it says and to do what we can to believe and follow what it says. Even when we don't understand it or it doesn't make sense, we'll stick with the book. Because we believe the only way to love which means to provide and protect for others, is to hold on to God's Word. Letting go of God's Word is unloving. Why? Because we're all lost and wandering and don't know what to do. Because not only does God know what is best for us and want what is best for us, we're accountable to Him as our Creator. So I don't ever want to one day be before my creator, the God of all creation, and stand before him and he says to me, so Tony, why did you quit preaching from the Bible? Why did you give up on the book and turn to something else? I don't ever want to have to answer that question of why I turned from the Bible. I don't want to have to say, well, I just wanted to make people feel better, or I wanted people to like me, or I felt like I had to, or I didn't want to go to jail, or I was compelled to. I don't want to stand before God and say, well, I just gave up. I didn't have the fight left in me to stick with your word. So I'm not going to. I'm going to stick with God's word. Always. 
I'm going to lead with grace and follow with truth. And that's what we as a church do. Lead with grace, follow with truth. And what that looks like is this. No matter what you have done, where, have you, where you have been or what has been done to you, you're welcome here. The shame, the regret, the sin, that secret that you carry, no matter how messy you are, you're welcome here. And that's called grace. And the reason we can extend that grace to each other is because we're all people that know we've got a log coming out of our eye. And so people with specks in their eyes, they're welcome here. Now you know what that makes us? A mess. I get it. We're a bunch of people with beams coming out of our eyes trying to live in love with each other. And it's messy. So we acknowledge that it's messy. And that there's going to be conflict and there's going to be problems. There's going to be hurt feelings. And there's going to be restoration and healing and forgiveness. We lead with grace and follow with truth. We will not pat anyone on the head and tell them it's okay to keep doing what they're doing. We will not say what people want to hear just because they want to hear it. You see, if you thought your life was working so well, you probably wouldn't be coming here. You'd be continuing doing what you were doing before. But we're also not going to pretend that we have it all together and that we have it all figured out and that we are somehow God's special people and special messengers. We are God's messengers. We are his people. But it's because of the work that Jesus Christ has done in us that we can then offer that to someone else. So we're going to hold on to both, 100% grace, 100% truth. <laughs> and the fun thing is that puts us in a great place. Now both sides can shoot at us. You understand what I'm saying? The ones over here who hate God's word and truth, they can shoot at us. And the ones over here who hate God's grace, they can shoot at us. And that's where we take our stand, right there in the middle. When you hold on to grace, religious people will yell at you and say that you're hanging out with the wrong kind of people. And when you hang out with truth, everybody will say you're being judgmental and think you're better than everyone else. Yep. So that's where we find ourselves, right there in the middle of that. Of course, that's where Jesus always found himself. Remember they said Jesus was hanging out with the, with the wrong people all the time? And you know Jesus' response to them? It's the sick people that need a doctor. So don't be surprised. That's the kind of place we are. Messy people are welcome here. You don't even have to agree with value number one to come here to church. We believe in value number one, but you don't have to. You can come here anyway. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery and she was brought before Jesus? And one by one, all the people left and Jesus said to her, uh, where are those that condemn you? And he said, neither do I condemn you. That's grace. And what did he say next? Go and sin no more. And that's truth. 
And that's how we live with people. That's how we live with each other, how we live with ourselves. If the world hates you, know this, it hated Jesus first. We are not here to be liked or popular. We are here to love God, love ourselves, and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's why we're here. That's what we're about. You know where we learned that? From the Bible. Which is why it's our first value, biblical authority. We believe that the Bible is God's word and has the ability to show us a better way to live if we are willing to put ourselves under its authority and adjust our lives to what God reveals there as true and best. And what God has revealed there as true and best is living in his son Jesus. And that's where we get to value number two next week. Uh, Father, we love you. And we thank you for caring for us enough to be in relationship with us, to speak to us, to communicate with us, to let us know where we're at and what we should do and how we should live and how we should respond. And Father, you've given us so much truth in your book. We thank you for that gift of your book. Uh, We dedicate ourselves to you, Father. And in so doing, we will metabolize your book. We'll make it part of our being, of who we are, as a source of truth that reveals you and reveals us. So, Father, we thank you. We pray, we consecrate this church to you, Jesus. This is your church. You are the head of all things, including this church. We place ourselves under your authority and give this coming year to you and ask that you would lead us with grace and truth as you always do that we would be a powerful voice for love. We pray it all in your name, Jesus. Amen.